Good morning, everyone. Hope you are doing well. We are continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 1 verse 11, and we'll pick up there in a moment. By way of review, uh, Paul, a well-known disciple, a church planter, an apostolic leader in the first century, is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia, urging them to stand on the gospel of grace that he gave them. And at the same time, Paul is defending himself and his gospel, his message that he carries. Uh, Paul is under attack uh, as a person, as a leader, as an apostle. He's being questioned. His message, his gospel is being questioned and in many cases sort of undermined uh, by other ideas. And so he's going to defend who he is, how he's been called, and the message that he carries. The passage that we are going to read this morning is longer than most, but it reads as a story. It's Paul's, it's a mini version of Paul's testimony, who he is, how he's been called, this message that he's carried to the Galatians and many others. And so we're going to start by reading this passage. But as we do, I want you to keep in mind that Paul is uh, defending himself and defending his gospel uh, for the sake of these uh, churches, these first emerging churches uh, in the ancient world. So we're going to pick up in Galatians. Galatians 1 verse 11, this is what it says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age from my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would shape our hearts, Lord. And in the power of the Spirit, even as we're all in our separate homes, that you would really meet with us in a tangible way as we open the scriptures this morning. And Lord, I pray that your grace, the grace that Paul uh, carried constantly before him, the grace that was welling up in his heart as he wrote this letter, um, that it would dawn on our hearts as well, Lord, that it would swell up in us, that we would see and grasp and taste and understand uh, how deep and wide and rich your love is in Jesus. Uh, would you open our eyes and lighten our hearts this morning as we uh, study Paul and his message and his ministry? In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul writes... Uh, to the churches in Galatia. He seeks to defend who he is, the way in which he was called, and the message that he carries. This message, Paul says, this euangelion, this royal announcement about Christ, it wasn't something that Paul inherited from human beings. It's not of human origin, Paul says. I, I did not receive it, nor was I taught it by a man. Rather, I received it directly by revelation from Jesus himself. And in fact, years later, when Paul finally sits down with some of the original disciples to compare notes, it only confirms that they were all on the same page, that they had all received the same message directly from God. So not only uh, does Paul's testimony that we read this morning speak to the accuracy of the gospel that he carries, but it also speaks to Paul's calling. And uh, I believe it speaks a powerful word about the role of grace in our lives. Uh, you see, Paul's royal announcements, uh, his gospel, is that God is reconciling all of creation back to himself. Um, how can we be reconciled to God? How can we um, re-enter kind of the center of the plot line and the human story? Well, he says you can be reconciled to God through Jesus. It's through his atoning death, through his burial, through his resurrection. He's actually made a way for that to be um, fully and ultimately possible. That's what reconciliation looks like. That's how we're made right with God 
How do we become uh, God's kingdom people? How do we uh, come under the, the freedom of uh, the kingship of God and operate in that day by day? Uh, well, it's not through works and it's not through the law, but what, rather we receive new life and righteousness from God as a gift. We place our faith in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. And as we do, Paul says, Jesus actually becomes our righteousness. We, and we have to grasp that basic concept as the foundation for everything else that follows. Your salvation, Paul explains, is based on Jesus alone. Uh, it, it's not about what you've done or what you failed to do, whether it was good or bad. It's all about who you know. Uh, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Because as you do, he actually becomes the way into the family of God. And as you come into the family of God in Christ, you actually become so closely, um, intimately connected with Jesus that the things are, that are true of him actually become true of you. And so we say, well, Jesus uh, died to sin on the cross and he conquered it. And, and Paul's going to say, hey, in his letters, he says, hey, you've died to sin. Your old self was actually crucified 2,000 years ago when Christ was crucified. You were crucified with him. Your old self is dead and gone. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Jesus, when he was on the earth, lived this perfect, spotless, fully righteous life in the love of the Father. And, and Paul says, hey, you now have that righteousness. You are so intimately connected with Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection, through placing your faith in him, that he actually becomes your righteousness. What was true of him becomes true of you. He was perfect and spotless. You are now perfect and spotless. You carry his righteousness. And through this process of becoming saved and coming into Christ, the old is dead. It's done away with. The new is born. You actually become a new creation. All the old stuff is dead and gone. All of the newness of being in Christ has come. And Paul says, hallelujah, you are free. And you can see Paul experience this in his testimony. In the testimony that we read this morning, you can see that Paul started off very religious, very pious, very zealous for God in the form of Judaism. He was eager to defend the traditions of his fathers. He tried to destroy God's church because he saw it as a threat to Judaism. Uh, he had people arrested. He even had people executed. But then God calls him um, purely by his grace he calls Paul, and you can see that the old is put to death, it's done away with, and the new has come. Paul is free in every sense of the word. And notice that Paul isn't plagued by guilt. Uh, he, he doesn't walk around or limp around through all of his Christian life plagued by feelings of unrighteousness or unworthiness. I mean, Paul oversaw and approved of the stoning of Stephen who was this wonderful disciple of Jesus who dies with remarkable dignity and um, looking his, his oppressors in the face, uh, glowing uh, with the radiance of God as he dies. Paul oversaw that. 
He likely carried uh, some of those memories with him as he continued on. Um, who knows how many, Paul, how many Paul arrested? Who knows how many were stoned or executed? We don't have those numbers. But what's remarkable is that Paul recognizes that he, the old is gone. He's freed from all of that. And he is a new creation in Christ. And so Paul's going to, throughout his ministry, rejoice in this gift, that grace comes as a gift. And he has this rich understanding that his righteousness and his standing before God weren't based on works of the law, weren't based on his own moral choices, good or bad, but actually came through Christ as a gift. It's not about works and religion and, and, and all of that. It's not even about sin, sin in your past or even sin right now in in your present, uh, but rather all of it comes as a gift through Christ. Even in this moment, moment by moment, we have this constant righteous standing before God purely as a gift through Christ and our intimate relationship with him. Uh, work, Paul says, makes no difference. Your religious performance makes no difference. Sin in the past or in the present makes no difference to your standing before God. So, uh, and, and that stirs up a lot of questions as we hear that type of gospel announced. Uh, the question that we wrestled with or that was brought up two weeks ago was, hey, why not go on sinning? I, I mean, if this is really the gospel, if this is really how it works, why not live in sin if our righteousness is given to us as a gift, if it's not based on our performance. And Paul would say, among other things, he would say, you're free. You're free from sin's power. It has no right to you. It no longer has a hold on you. How can we live in it anymore? Your relationship to sin has been completely transformed by grace. But there's another question that's raised by this gospel that Paul is announcing, and that's our relationship to work. If our standing is really based on Christ, then do I need to do anything at all? I mean, do I need to serve? Do I need to tithe? Do I need to share the gospel? I mean, if none of those things will affect my righteousness, then do I need to do anything at all? What role does work play in, in the life of a redeemed follower of Jesus? And again, Paul's life speaks a powerful word to us on this topic. In verse 15, which we read this morning, Paul says, God, who set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And as we read that long passage this morning, we can see that that's exactly what Paul did. Uh, zealously, passionately, for the rest of his life, he receives this calling in grace and, and he goes for it. In fact, elsewhere Paul says, I worked harder than anyone else. I worked harder than any of the apostles. I was so excited, so passionate, so zealous for God. But this new zeal, this sense of calling, is also completely born out of God's grace. Uh, Paul is saying, in effect, that God's grace, first and foremost, 
It changes our relationship to God himself. Through God's grace, we are fully reconciled to God. There's nothing more that we can do. There's no more of God's love that we can earn. We had a certain relationship with God. It was completely transformed by God's grace. But it's deeper than that. It's actually wider than that. He's saying not only was your relationship with God totally transformed, your relationship with sin is totally transformed by grace. Sin is no longer master over you. It doesn't own you. You are freed from, from the power of Satan's sin and death. You're released from that by grace. Your relationship to the law is something that, that Paul's going to, to spell out beautifully in this letter to the Galatians. He says your relationship to the law is now completely transformed and changed by God's grace. And you're no longer under the law. The law has nothing to say to you. You're released from the law. It's fulfilled and you're free to serve in the way of the Spirit in a totally new way before God. You're a new creation now. You're freed from sin. You're freed from the law. You're freed from your past. But notice that grace also gives us something to do. In, as a new creation, you have a new calling. Paul said, God called me by his grace so that I might preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Grace not only saves us, but it calls us into a new sphere of service that we didn't have before. With new creation comes a new calling. And Paul says he received grace and apostleship from God, that grace was given to me to be a wise master builder. And again, to quote scripture, he said, grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So to Paul, all of it is a grace gift. And in fact, Paul goes on to say, hey, every single one of us has gifts from God according to the grace given us. So if you can actually, uh, as an analogy, imagine Paul opening physical gifts. Like, like imagine it's like a Christmas style thing. He's got physical gifts in front of him that he's unwrapping. Uh, the first gift, the most amazing gift, he would open it up and it would say salvation. He would say, oh my gosh, like, Lord, you're giving this to me, this incredible gift of eternal life. I have hope for eternity. I will be in the radiant beauty of God and his renewed heavens and earth forever, for all time. God, I can't imagine a greater gift. You, you're, you're just handing this to me. How amazing is that? And, and we should contemplate that gift and dwell on that gift. But the amazing thing is, that God keeps going. He, he keeps giving new gifts. And so as Paul's stunned by this gift, all of a sudden he's opening the next one and it says new creation. Right here, right now, you are a new creation, freed from all that other stuff. He didn't have to give us that in the present, but he does. It's purely as a gift. And then Paul grabs the next gift and opens it and it says freed from the law. And then he opens the next gift and it says a permanent righteous standing before me in the here and now. And I can just imagine uh, Paul just reeling and just saying, oh, wow, God, you are amazing. You give such wonderful, incredible gifts and they just keep coming. I'm speechless. 
But there's a whole nother set of gifts that God is going to give that come by grace. And so Paul keeps going. He opens the next one and it, and it says a call to apostleship. And he's thinking, oh my gosh, God, this is incredible. Like for me, really, like this is the new call that you have on my life. And he opens the next ones and it says a call to the Gentiles. And it's, oh, Lord, this is, this is amazing. I'm going to go and announce this news. And he opens the next, oh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of whatever it is. All of these things are coming as gifts. Notice that Paul and no one else in all of human history has earned these things. They've all been born by grace out of the goodness of God. Just as salvation and right standing are a free gift from God that we inherit, so too your calling and your gifting are also by grace. The good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, all of these things that are now central to our lives come by grace grace. They're gifts from God, which is why we call them spiritual gifts. Uh, we don't call them spiritual wages. Uh, we, we, we never check in with each other and say, oh, hey, John, like, how's it going? And, and John says, oh, man, it's going so well. Like, I've been so righteous this week. I've followed God's, God's laws so well. I've actually earned a lot more of his favor. In fact, I'm well on my way to earning the gifts of prophecy and tongues. Like, pray for me. I'm almost there. No, we, we don't say that. We don't talk about earning things. We don't talk about spiritual promotions. They're literally spiritual gifts because they're not given because of what we do. They're given by God's grace. Uh, as a classic example, the Corinthian church is full of spiritual gifts. They're overflowing with spiritual gifts. But if you read about the Corinthian church, they were terribly immature and they, they had all sorts of major sin issues. They didn't earn any of those gifts. It was all given by grace. These aren't rewards. Uh, they're not something that's given as a mark of holiness or as a mark of maturity, as in, oh, I'll earn it one day. The same grace that qualified us for salvation is the exact same grace that qualifies us for a new calling and a new equipping and, and all of it, all of the gifts that we receive from God. And so Paul says, it's by grace that I've been saved, but it's also by grace that I receive the gifts of the Spirit. And in, in fact, it's by grace that I was called to be an apostle. And now that I've received that calling by grace, I want to run my race well. I don't want to squander God's grace. I don't want to squander God's gifts. I, I, I don't want his grace to me to be in vain. And in fact, years later, as Paul is looking back on a lot of his ministry and reflecting, he says this. He says, God's grace to me was not in vain because I worked harder than any of them. And some of you will say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Isn't that grace and works side by side, working together? Can you do that? And Paul would say, of course. By grace, God gives gifts. 
and by grace, God calls you to do something for the sake of his kingdom in the here and now. And by grace, he'll empower you to walk it out. You could think of it this way as another analogy. You can imagine uh, that we were orphans, all of us, and that as orphans, we were at the whims of the world and we were sold into slavery. So imagine you're an orphan, you're sold into slavery, uh, you're in slavery to Satan, sin, and death. Uh, in some sense, you're enslaved to a law that uh, constantly condemns you as being um, unworthy and unrighteous and falling short. You're enslaved. So you're an orphan, you're enslaved, but then God comes along and he comes uh, into the slave market, so to speak, and he buys you, purchases you at the slave market. But he doesn't just purchase you uh, in order to be a slave in a new household. You're, you're not just transferring service from one slaveholder or slave master to another. It's not just slavery in a new location. He's actually purchasing you from the slave market in order to be a son or a daughter, in order to adopt you into his family. He adopts us into the family. Um, you, didn't, uh, you, didn't, uh, you, you didn't purchase yourself. Uh, you didn't remove your own shackles. You didn't shed your old slave masters of Satan, sin, and death. In fact, you couldn't have. You were powerless to do those things. But God came along and he purchased you. He saved you. The, the biblical word is literally redeemed. Where you were redeemed, which means you were bought at a price. You were bought back into the household of God. It was by grace as a gift. And now God adopts you into a new family. And you become a new creation. You become a new type of human being. You're no longer a slave. You're a son or a daughter of God. That old stuff is gone. And, and you're a new creation. There's a sense in which he changes your last name, spiritually speaking. You're a, you become a new type of human being. Uh, and you have a new and unshakable status in the family of God or the household of God. And because you're part of the family, you now have a right to everything in the fridge. You never have to work to, to earn your food or to keep your place in the family. You never have to work to earn the love of the father. He welcomes you into the household. He says, here's your new name. Here's your new status. Here's your new room. It's yours. It's, it's permanent. It's unshakable. You have a place here. But with a new family comes a new identity. So there's a sense in which God is saying, hey, you're part of this new family now. You're a new creation. You're a son or daughter of God. You're no longer a slave. You don't have to earn anything. You're, you're, you're permanently and safely part of this family. But here's the deal. We are a family of master builders. We build stuff for the kingdom. That's who we are. That's what we do. And now you're part of the family. You have a role to play. I mean, you can help us build. And so I'll, I'm going to give you some gifts. And the first gift is your adoption certificate. You are permanently a part of this family. Welcome to the family. You have a new last name. We love you. 
But if that's the first gift that God gives, then the second gift that God gives is a tool belt. And he says, hey, here's a new tool belt and, and here's a series of shiny new tools. It's all given by grace as a gift. You have these things. And not only that, but by grace, I want to walk alongside you and I want to show you. I want to show you your place in the family. I want to show you how you can contribute to building. I want to show you uh, how to use all of these new tools that I'm giving you, the role that you'll play in the family, the role that you'll play in the body of Christ. It's all part of your new identity. Welcome to the family. Now, if you reject that invitation, if you refuse to build and you, and you take off your tool belt and you take all your shiny new tools and you just throw them under your bed and you say, forget it. I don't want any part in building. That sounds like too much work. I'm just going to sit in my room and play video games. Okay. If you choose that option, does it change your status in the family? Well, no, not at all. You're still a son or a daughter. You still are completely secure in your place in the family. Your name hasn't changed. The love of the Father over your life uh, hasn't changed. All of that remains. But the issue is that you're now squandering your gifts. Uh, you're causing God's grace to be in vain. He didn't give you a tool belt and new tools so that you could waste all of your time playing video games. He actually has something much more rewarding for you to do, a role to play, kingdom work to be done. You're not a slave anymore. You're not even a worker who somehow earns wages to pay rent for their room or something like that. Um, you're not an employee. You don't have to earn your place. You're a son or a daughter. You're totally secure in the love and the family of God. But with the new family comes a new calling that's also born out of this grace in which we now stand. And if you reject your calling, and you take your gifts and your tools and your calling and you throw it all uh, under the bed, so to speak, well, guess what? That job isn't going to get done. Uh, the house will be incomplete. Uh, in, in fact, uh, at one point, Paul says, hey, if the ear should say to the eye, should, should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. In other words, if you take your gifts and your tools and your calling and you throw them under the bed, you don't cease to be part of the family. You're still just as much part of the family. All it means is that that, that work, that role won't be fulfilled. If the I says, hey, I'm, I, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not going to function as an I because I don't like the role that I have. Well, guess what? The I doesn't stop being part of the body. What actually happens is that the body can't see. The whole body hurts. The whole building project begins to stall. Part of it never gets finished because by grace, you've been given a, a gifting and a calling and a role to play. You have a race to run. And so Paul says in the passage that we read this morning, 
He said, I, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. God has a calling on my life. He, he has a purpose. He has a direction and, and a race to run. And, and so, Paul says, I, I want to run that race with every fiber of my being. I, I want to get after God's call on my life. I want to run this race well. In his letter to the Corinthians, uh, he expounds on that analogy and he says it this way. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games or the Olympics uh, goes into strict training to prepare. They do it to get a crown or a gold medal that will not last, but we do it chasing after Jesus to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I run with a purpose. I live with a purpose. I don't want to wander aimlessly or run aimlessly. I don't want to use my freedom in Christ to just indulge in sin and live there. No. Instead, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Grace calls us, grace saves us, grace equips us and gifts us and gives us a new identity and a new calling, and grace goes with us on the journey, which is why Paul says, yet not I, but the grace of God in me, moment by moment, day by day, empowering me to run this race. We will never reach a stage in our walk with Jesus where we say, God, by his grace, he gave me these gifts or this calling. I've got it from here. Thanks, God, for getting me this far. I'll do the rest. We'll never arrive at that place. It's grace that saves. It's grace that gives the calling. And it's grace that empowers us. That same grace that God lavishes over us in our salvation, in our righteous standing before him, is the same grace that says, hey, here's a new calling. And, and here is is the, the empowering spirit to go and live out that calling. The grace of God compels us on the mission of God into the world so that we can end our lives standing before him saying, your grace for me was not in vain. Your grace, your gifting, your calling, it wasn't wasted. It, it wasn't for nothing. I lived into the fullness of your grace. And now I've run my race well, and I'm ready to enter your rest. And Jesus can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your love, 
for the way that you have called us and saved us and given us a righteous standing before you. And Lord, we also thank you that in your grace, you've given us a role to play. You've made us part of the body that, that just as Paul had grace for apostleship, in the same way we have grace for our callings, for our roles, for everything that you call us to do uh, in the world and in our vocations and in the body of Christ on the mission of God. Uh, your grace is what calls us. Your grace is what gifts us. And it's your grace that will see us through. I pray, Lord, that this would work deep into our hearts, that we would never slip into a place of legalism, that we would never slip into a place of saying, your grace saved me and now I'll take it from here. But Lord, teach us to walk in your grace, to breathe in your grace and to breathe it out into a world uh, that needs it so badly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.